For KLSU, I'm Michael Cross, and it's time for This Week in Oklahoma Politics, along with Republican political consultant Neva Hill and ACLU Oklahoma Executive Director Ryan Kiesel. The chairman of the powerful House Appropriations Committee allegedly owes thousands of dollars in back child support. Wellston Representative Kevin Wallace has been ordered to appear in court February 5th, the second day of the 2019 session, over $33,000 in back support and medical expenses. His attorney says he paid support in other ways, like making a car payment. Neva, could this be a problem for Chairman Wallace? Well, it's it's a family problem, uh, you know, in terms of his public service, his role as AMB chair. I mean, uh, it's the messiness of being in a profile public position and uh, having these kind of stories come out. Uh, and obviously the timing uh, right before session uh, certainly uh, uh, just uh, kind of adds adds to the, uh, the the mix. But I think the, the bottom line is we need to really step back and separate. I mean, uh, he has uh, in his private life, I mean, the divorce, uh, the issues still in play with uh, uh, two uh, uh, two daughters still at uh, still at home, uh, joint custody between uh, parents, and all of all of that messiness uh, is is one is one story. But the the other story that is that uh, this is someone who uh, has uh, had exemplary public service uh, in his uh, time that he's been in the legislature uh, uh, for four years, and uh, uh, and I think we just need to pause and kind of take that into consideration and account. Right. Yeah, I don't think it's a problem for him yet. Um, right now, uh, and, and he's represented, interesting, and a little uh, trivia there, Representative Chris Cannaday, uh, a fellow legislator, is his attorney in the in this uh, child support proceeding. So that's just kind of some interesting trivia out there that he's being represented by a fellow member. I don't think it's a problem for him yet. I, you know, I think that this is, like Neva said, this is a private matter that unfortunately becomes very public whenever you're a public figure. Um, and <clears throat> whenever I think about something like this, I think the, the hardest part here is, is for the children Absolutely. Uh, because they're, they're already dealing with, uh, you know, probably some difficult issues and then to see it magnified at a, at a state level, you know, if it does come out at some point after the hearing and after the entire judicial process has, has run its course here, that he wasn't paying the way that he should have. And there's maybe some bad faith or something like that, that could lend to his <clears throat> credibility and legitimacy on issues in particular on issues that deal with child support issues. But, um, for right now, I don't think it's a problem for him in the legislature. I doubt it's going to have any impact on his uh, ability to move his agenda through this session. Is there any problem with the fact that we were talking about the man who basically deals with money and, and making payments to state agencies? Well, I, I mean, I, I, I'm not saying, I think I'm not I think would, I think but. I think that's uh, I think that oftentimes is the stretch that uh, uh, kind of the storyline goes to. But I think you know, let's let's wait and see what the facts are. I mean, you know, uh, he in in uh, some of the information that's come out. I mean, he's he has said that that he's paid up to two hundred and fifty thousand dollars in various uh, types of support uh, to to the family uh, since the since the divorce, uh, and even the figure that was first filed. I mean, that thirty three thousand or whatever it was, was quickly by his ex-wife's attorney uh, amended to say, no, that number is actually uh, a little lower. So, I mean, we've got all of this information that kind of gets thrown out there in a flurry. And I think uh, I think it is a process that has a has a, a process to go through. I think we uh, we need to kind of step back and let it take its natural course. And there's the fact that he has to be in court on, on, fe- on February 5th. That's mm-hmm. the second day of the legislature. Well, yeah. that do you think that will have any impact? I, you know, I don't think so. I mean, usually there's not that much yeah, going on the there's, there's day, not yeah. a lot going on the second day and in particular I, i'm going to imagine that leadership's going to work with him even if there was a conflict in his schedule and, <clears throat> and like neva said we don't we don't know any of this stuff mm-hmm. yet i mean these are allegations that have been made in court filings 
if we get to a point where a court makes some finding around that evidence, uh, you know, that could, like I said, come back and be a credibility issue, a legitimacy issue on his ability to manage money for the state or his ability to weigh in on issues like, you know, child support. Uh, if there's a or, bill dealing with child yeah, support. Yeah, that, 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 yeah. Could, that could have some effect on it. But again, all of that is very speculative right now, and we should await to see what the court ultimately does here. The 2019 legislature begins in about 10 days. Last week, when the dust cleared for the bill deadline, lawmakers had filed more than 2,800 bills, including more than 300 shell bills from House Speaker Charles McCall. Ryan, have you ever seen this many <laughs> bills filed in session? No, and they, they're all filed uh, almost at the, the very end. I mean, normally, you get that, that last week, you get kind of a slow trickle, and that I felt like just watching tracking on that. It was the last, you know, those last flurry of hours of bills just being dumped. And a lot of them, like you said, are these shell bills. And, you know, one of the, you know, of course, we'll be talking about and, and other media outlets are going to be talking. You've got bills that do everything from attack the reproductive rights of women to uh, deal with uh, e-cigarettes. But ultimately, uh, these are, you know, when I'm starting to look at these stories, hopefully the leadership, you know, will make sure that the bills like the the, uh, the assault on reproductive freedom by Senator Silk and uh, bills like, you know, Senator Dom's so-called constitutional carry, which is wildly dangerous and would endanger the lives of Oklahomans by allowing just about anybody to carry a gun wherever they want without any sort of restrictions or training, that those bills uh, will die very early in the session. And ultimately, we'll start to talk about the real the real focus of the legislature, and that's putting together a budget. Neva. And I think you're right. I mean, when you talk about those 300 shell bills that Speaker McCall has, I mean, I think many would anticipate that a lot of those will deal with uh, as we get further into the session and uh, and the budget uh, the budget aspect. I mean, the governor's made it pretty clear uh, in, in the days we're in right now that he's really rolled up his sleeves and with his staff and with uh, uh, folks throughout government, he's really trying to get a handle on uh, the budget process where the money is, where it flows, uh, where it goes. I mean, and it's it's a it's a big uh, you know it's a big monster to try to wrap your you know wrap your uh, arms around. But I think that they are really tackling it with a real you know a real zeal to try to get some some real numbers and some real assessment before he has his state of the state so i think you know the normal kind of give and take on these bills i mean we've got we've got bills that are coming back as as you say ryan over and over i mean some either carried over and and now you know with some hope i guess by the author that there may be a a, a different composition there or maybe the votes to to pass something but you know i think the long and the short of it is even though the senate seemed to stay step up and do a little more in terms of bill filings, over a 1,000. And, you know, we always see, um, you know, 1,500 to 2,000 on the House side, it seems mm-hmm. like. Uh, uh, but I think I think what will be interesting is which bills really uh, really get the leadership attention and move forward. Will they be these criminal justice reform bills? Will they be the ones that have significance? Or will we see just a lot of these uh, ones that make kind of the easy, fast headlines that, uh, you know, have some appeal? Uh, granted, with the with the public, uh, when you start talking about uh, Second Amendment and a lot of the you know a lot of these uh, issues that uh, Oklahomans clearly have cared about, you know, at the polls for years. But will will some of those bills that that even lawmakers on both sides of the aisles have difficulty when you really start wanting to pass legislation in some of these areas? That's where it really gets to be a di- more difficult uh, hurdle to overcome. The sheer number of criminal justice reform bills by Republicans and Democrats. I mean, it, that to me is is the real signal that that we're in the middle of the you know that the the zeitgeist is here. You know that criminal justice reform is the prevailing substantive issue, uh, other than the budget. 
at the state capitol right now. I, I think that, and I with the budget, I would say education and healthcare get wrapped up in those budget considerations. But the substantive issue outside of the budget that everybody is looking at, Republicans and Democrats, criminal justice reform, and that is a sea change from even you know, three, four, five years ago. Now, I do want to I want to talk about that. That we do have the bipartisan bill by uh, Republican John Eccles and Democrat Jason Dunnington. Uh, House Bill twelve sixty nine makes retroactive. State question 780 passed mm-hmm. by Oklahoma voters in 2016. First, Neva, I want your thoughts on HB 1269, but, but what a to change from last year uh, about almost bills that tried to knock down 780 to this. Yeah. Well, and I think I think a couple of things. I mean, one, the uh, the elections. Uh, certainly, I think uh, the, the uh, folks that were running for office across the state heard a lot about uh, this issue, you know, on the doorstep, at forums, uh, uh, with opinion leaders and and community leaders ac- across the board. So uh, the governor, as we talked about last week, uh, certainly has weighed in and and uh, showed that he has an interest and support in seeing seeing some things happen and happen quickly. Uh, and I think the whole key is what what was just mentioned, and that is bipartisan. If the if the lawmakers will kind of set aside past history and recent history of the contentiousness of the legislative uh, sessions, and you know move forward kind of with a new day and a new look and say yes we can agree on some big issues that will that will make a seismic change in what what is happening in our state then I think uh, some of these other issues will fall you know kind of take their natural course a little easier and won't and won't really dominate uh, uh, at the level that they have perhaps in the past so I'm hopeful I, th- I think the I think the governor will set the tone I think the fact that legislative leaders uh, on both sides sides, uh, House and Senate, as well as uh, the Democrats and Republicans coming together and speaking the way they are is refreshing, and hopefully it will not be a short-lived proposition. Right. And, and well, and you, you mentioned last year, it was actually the year before, so I mean, let, let's just look at criminal oh, justice timeline around state question 780 right now. Almost 60% of voters in 2016, November of 2016, approved state question 780, one of the most ambitious criminal justice reform measures in the country at that time, and even, even still today. And the, immediately after that, in the 2017 legislative session, yes, yes, right. you had lawmakers uh, led by district attorneys and their mouthpiece in the state legislature, then uh, state representative Scott Biggs, get very close to defeating it, uh, overturning it. They passed it by one vote, a measure to overturn state question 780 in the House. That measure died in the Senate. Then last year, you had a Republican state senator, senator introduce retroactivity legislation, and it didn't get a lot of traction. I think people thought that maybe it was a step too far. Uh, there was some concern from the district attorneys in, in particular about what it would mean. And then from 20, so that's, you know, 20, it was 2018. It was 2018. Yeah. So now between 2018 and this 2019 session, everybody under the sky now thinks that retroactivity for state question 780 is the most obvious and important thing for the legislature to do with criminal justice reform. And, you know, I would say that, you know, that's that really represents the trend that we're seeing. Uh, I'd say don't stop there. We need to we need to put in this legislation a presumption that all uh, sentencing reform measures in the future are going to be presumed to be retroactive uh, unless the legislature and, and some future bill states. Otherwise, there should be that presumption built in. Um, we, ought, we ought to be thinking about folks that are no longer incarcerated under state question 780 crimes, but still have that felony hanging over their heads so to give them an op- like opportunity that. to go back and get that remedied. Uh, but the number of lawmakers on both sides of the aisle that are talking about big things, everything from jury sentencing to uh, cash bail reform to retroactivity to increased sentencing reforms, it is a, a new day 
uh, on an incredibly important issue for the state and of And I think it's important that as they move forward that it's not – that they don't overreach. I think as, as you talked about the timeline, it takes time for big ideas and big changes uh, in public policy to occur. I mean, they, they're not overnight and they're not one shot. And so, granted, I don't think that either side will get everything that they, that they want, uh, but as long as there's forward motion and good progress in the right direction, I think that's the key. And, and and rather the my way or the highway, I mean, uh, everyone has everyone has reason to have a voice and a seat at the table. And you know whether we agree or disagree with some of these parties, I think that I think that uh, it is still incumbent upon the process to make sure that that all of them are involved, or will or we will see a time where we hit the wall and we start you know moving backwards again. And that's the last thing I I think most Oklahomans want to see. Well, and I think that that's right. Even even on the progressive side of this, I mean, I think that there are efforts around cash bail reform that we've got to make sure that as we reform that system that we don't have unintended consequences. You know, our, uh, we just watched other states you know, pass, pass uh, bail reform in ways that may have made the system worse. You know, California, you know, chief among them. But we do have a lot to learn from what other states have done. And I think that uh, we have an important role in Oklahoma to continue to push that agenda because if, if there weren't organizations uh, like Oklahoma's for Criminal Justice Reform, the ACLU, that had been out pushing 780 retroactivity last year, uh, then it wouldn't have happened this year. This is this didn't happen overnight. It was Republicans, Democrats, conservatives, and liberals that came together years ago and said, "This is a critical issue of, for Oklahoma. Let's well, put our heads an, together and, and get something done." And it's an education process, just like if yeah. this bill right. does you become law. I mean, yeah. uh, the uh, uh, the the numbers that are out there, whether it's twenty five hundred to three thousand uh, 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 folks that will be immediately eligible for reduced sentences. I mean, those kind of numbers and those facts and that information as the public becomes more familiar, more aware of, of what we're really talking about, not just the kind of the, the tagline, but really the specifics, then I think that we'll get more and more interest and more and more involvement across the board. And that will be the that will be the bright the real bright spot in all of this. Creates a lot of opportunities. A lot of law students out there that could be working in legal clinics, working on retroactivity, increased opportunity for substance health, substance abuse and mental health providers around the state of Oklahoma. I mean this this is a, uh, a real change in the way that Oklahomans are looking at this. Are they are Oklahomans and our, our voters and their elected officials where they need to be right now? I don't think that they are. I think that we should go further, but I'm not going to sit here and, and uh, cry in my pillow because <laughs> you know we're not where we need where I, I want to be tomorrow because where we are today is is really magnificent. A series of Republican bills arrive in answer to last year's walkout measures, include a $500 fine and jail time for disrupting the legislature, a $50,000 bond for protesting at the state capitol. Another bill bans teachers from advocating on political issues or candidates, while another ends collective bargaining from organizations like the Oklahoma Education Association by 2020. One other one fires teachers if they actually do take do walkout or, t- or strike. Ryan, are these in retaliation to last year's walkout? Absolutely they are. And, and anybody who says that, I mean, I, I haven't heard the lawmakers that have authored these try to say that they're not in response to the walkout. I think that if they tried to do that, it would be pretty apparent how disingenuous that statement is. These are these are clear rifle shots at the walkout from last year. And, you know, I, I think that 
uh, you know, not only are they bad, not only is it bad public policy to try to create laws that make some of our most make it harder, if not impossible, for some of our state's most important public servants to come and lobby the legislature while the legislature is in session. Now, if the legislature wants to change their session time to times when you know schools are out on break or something like that, and then compensate uh, these teachers accordingly uh, so that they can come out over their breaks, then fine. Uh, but the the legislature meets while the the schools are in session, and you know they need to have that opportunity to come up to the Capitol. So not only is it bad public policy, but some of these are just patently unconstitutional and wouldn't survive a court challenge for you know it, they'd be quickly dismissed by a court. Now that's. And I, if we want to talk about the voice of people petitioning their government and assembling to petition their government for a particular action, the teacher walkout, even though the teachers didn't get everything that they wanted, the revenue measures that were passed last year, the unprecedented revenue measures under a Republican legislature and a Republican governor would not have happened but for teachers amassing at the Capitol and raising their collective voice. Anything to stop that, I think, is dangerous. And Neva, the uh, makeup of the uh, House and Senate is a lot different than it was last year. Do you think these bills might have a harder time getting through? Yeah, I think it remains to be seen, but I think one thing is clear. I mean, even going back to um, when... Uh, when House Bill 1017 was passed in the 90s, even then the teachers unions and others acknowledged that that uh, that strike that a strike was disruptive to the to the classroom process. I mean, it had impact. Um, they they across the board admitted on uh, test scores at the time. You know, with kids. I mean, when you start having like as we had in April, uh, more than 500,000 students out of school. I mean, that is a disruption in the education process that has to be that has to be taken a look at. The notion that we can just summarily, you know, uh, school boards and everyone just let the teachers out uh, with no consequences to come up year in and year out and want more and more revenue. I, I, I think that uh, I, th- I think that's going to be something that there's going to be a little bit of uh, a little bit of uh, consternation in the public about this time, as opposed to last time. And and let's remember they came to the Capitol after they had already gotten their teacher pay raise. I mean, yes, they had other issues they wanted to talk about. But wasn't there a more uh, a more systematic and thoughtful process for those folks to have their input with lawmakers? I mean, they have their input every day and every week in their own districts. I mean, picking up the phone, having that direct contact with their own lawmakers. So it's not that there's some void of communication and information on what what their views are. And so I think we have to you know take a look at each of these bills, and some of them uh, may not uh, you know may not rise to to, to the level of having uh, support in the legislature others may but uh, i think to just summarily dismiss them and say that uh, that that's not the direction to go i think we're going to see that the lawmakers uh, are going to really look at these and see where the need is you know from a from an educational lobby and i know that uh not every student had this ability or every parent had this ability but from an educational opportunity you know i took my son up to the walkout a couple of days i know there are a lot of folks that took their kids up there as well i know people talking uh to their children about that you know, he was in kindergarten at the time and, and you know, seeing uh, we, we don't have a lot of opportunities to see democratic uh, uh, the democratic process in action and in particular to see it in a way that's not hyper partisan polarized. I mean, it, there are Republican teachers out there and Democratic teachers out there. And to, to be able to be a part of that. Um, you know, he remembers that day I, uh, like it was like it was yesterday. And anytime they did the 2018 retrospectives at the end of the year for uh, the new year on all the local news channels, and they would always you know play footage of the teacher walkout, and, and my son recognized that. So I think that there was some educational opportunity there. Um, but I also know that anecdotally there were a lot of lawmakers that were actively 
uh, upset and angered uh, that law that they would have that teachers had the 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 chutzpah to show up and demand something of their legislators and you know, some of that played out on Facebook. You know, we saw some uh, some issues there. I think that this is really just petty. Uh, and if they if they want to keep teachers from coming to the Capitol, then they should just take care of them in the budget at the outset. And while it did disrupt classrooms, you got to say, though, there's only been two walkouts in the past 30 years. Is this the best legislation to be saying, oh, we can't have any more walkouts? When you, I mean, I know it was disruptive. I think but- it remains to be seen, and I think the question is, uh, where it, where is this stemming from? I mean, if you have... Uh, you know, out of state or national or other organizers uh, coming in trying to stir the pot, so to speak. Uh, that's that's that is uh, certainly different from folks at the local level wanting to have their voice heard. And so, I guess you know, the question is, yes, uh, in terms of coming to the Capitol, having that education experience, whether as an adult or as a student, uh, every day we see that at the Capitol, whether it's the you know the FFA or the band or the you know the the Girl Scouts or you know, or any number of groups and associations that adults are involved in, there is that process to interact with lawmakers on their specific issues. But it's a day they come in a very systematic and thoughtful way to uh, have that give and take and exchange of ideas. It's not a walkout, which really constitutes a strike when you come up there in a very militant fashion, uh, if that's the intent, and not have... um, and and not have a real constructive agenda to really you know press forward on. So I think those are the things that that everyone looking at this kind of going forward is you know what's it going to look like if there is something like that and how is it going to take place and what's the leadership that's uh, that's behind it. And I think all of those things will have to be very clear or you're going to have lawmakers that are certainly going to you know take a you know have to take a pause. I mean, I don't I've never known a lawmaker that wouldn't talk to a constituent or even a person interested, very interested on a subject, whether it's education or any other subject, um, that wouldn't take the time to have that conversation. So I've never bought into this idea that that there was uh, this notion that they had to, you know, kind of get in everybody's face to to uh, have their point of view heard, because there's just no there's no evidence that that's really a valid argument at all. There are many other bills which could go before lawmakers, and I just wanted to hear if there are any, each of you are watching. Nevo, let's start with you. Well, I think, you know, going back, and I think I mentioned it a couple of weeks ago uh, before the inauguration, I, I'm interested to see with the with the individual bills uh, that would take these uh, uh, five agencies, uh, specifically uh, l- large agencies, and allow the governor to be able to uh, to name the agency director, hire and fire uh, the head of those uh, major departments. Uh, uh, Departments of government, and I think uh, I think that there appears to be uh, a lot of support for that. Certainly, this is something the governor's made very clear he would like to have. He believes that that would, you know, that that would really strengthen uh, the the governor's position in terms of really, you know, being able to make the kind of changes uh, that uh, that he envisions uh, in his uh, agenda or any governor in the future. And so, uh, it will be interesting to see if the support is there in the legislature. Uh, uh, certainly, it has. Uh, strong uh, legislative leadership support at this point that's been uh, that that's been put forward so those will be the bills I think that I'll see watch with interest and see if they move quickly or whether they kind of take a slow track right at the beginning of the session Ryan back to criminal justice reform house bill 2589 by representative Eccles this bill deals with jury sentencing so you're going to hear a lot about cash bail reform this year you're going to hear a lot about retroactivity this year but a bill, House Bill 2589, 
that could be this is this is a groundbreaking bill. Oklahoma is only one of six states that allows for jury sentencing in criminal trials. Mm-hmm. Uh, this doesn't do away with jury sentencing, it but allows it, for the choice. But it allows for the it allows for the choice, and it makes sure that juries, whenever they are doling out a sentence have the entire range of sentences in front of them, including alternatives to incarceration. So right now, if you're a criminal defendant and you're trying to decide between a plea deal that a a prosecutor's got on the table or going to a jury trial, only that prosecutor is able to give you alternatives to incarceration like probation, deferred sentences, you know, maybe sentencing to like a, a rehabilitation center, something like that. Juries don't have but that. But a judge does. But a judge does. Yeah. And so this would put that power in the hands of the juries in Oklahoma and would create a little bit more balance between criminal defendants and the prosecutors. Big bill authored by a Republican, and I think of, of all of the criminal justice bills, this one's going to be below the radar a little bit, but incredibly important. And Ryan and Eva's comments do not necessarily reflect the views of the ACLU, KOSU, its staff, or management.